Office Invaders podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Jeremy Jackson, and with me, as always, is my co-host, James Ellison. James, what's happening? What's happening, guys? We are back. Uh, This is the week of October the 3rd, 2021. Uh, The Delta pandemic uh, (laughs) version 2.0 is uh, ramping down a little bit. I think we've hit the peak, so that's a good thing. Uh, James, how's your week going, man? Uh, it's going great, actually. I I just came off of a pretty good high uh, Friday night. I, I had an art show. Um, it was a horror event since it was October 1st, and it went really well. I, I got a lot of good sales, uh, made some new connections, so it was, it was a good, good start to my weekend. Hells yeah. I hope you all are doing well, and like I said, this is our, uh, this is our spooky month this month. We're going to be doing uh, some horror movies this month for October. Again, this is October 2021 year, but um, by the time you guys listen to this, it probably be past. But hey, just listen to it anyways. Uh, so we're we're doing this episode. We're doing The Crow, and uh, I gotta say, I'm pretty biased on this movie uh, <laughs> because it's my all-time favorite movie, and I know that sounds kind of strange, um, but you know, this movie. It speaks volumes, and to me, it still holds up today. And uh, we'll get into all that. Uh, James, when when did you see this movie for the first time, and and what were your has it has it resonated with you at all? Uh, I'm gonna have to say the first time I saw this movie was uh, pre-pandemic. It was probably 2018, so I saw it very late. But it's a really good movie it's I enjoyed it. it's a fantastic movie so let's get into it shall we um so the crow is a as a 1994 it's it's considered a superhero f- film although i don't really consider it a superhero a superhero film if i could talk right but um it was directed by alex prius and written by david j chow and john shirley it stars the late Brandon Lee. This was his final film. Uh, he starred as Eric Draven, a murdered musician who was resurrected to avenge the deaths of himself and his fiance. <laughs> it is based on the James O'Barr comic of the same name. Now, let me say something about the James O'Barr comic. James O'Barr is a fantastic dude. Um, and the comic book is just as important to me as the movie. And I encourage each and every one of you, if you are into comic books and you have not read James O'Barr's the, the crow, it is, it is different from the movie in a ton of ways. Um, but also it still has that same feel as the movie. And it's, it's James O'Barr in the beginning of that comic. He, um, even wrote, um, something out for Brandon, which is fantastic. But, um, uh, production on the crow was uh, struck by tragedy when Lee was fatally wounded during filming. We'll talk about that. Um, as Lee had finished most of his scenes before his death, the film was completed through script rewrites, a stunt double, and digital effects. Um, the crow is dedicated to Lee and his fiance Eliza Hutton. Um, so, after Lee's death, Paramount Pictures opted out of distributing the film. 
Um, the rights were picked up by Miramax, who did a fantastic job overseeing this, the completion of this film. Because, uh, to be honest, Alex Price, was he did not want to finish this film. Um, he kind of... Him and Brandon were really close. Uh, they got really close during the making of this film. They worked they worked alongside James O'Barr to make sure that they captured a lot of um, a lot of the same feel from the comic. And and, and James O'Barr's um, you know is what he saw for this movie. You know what I mean? And um, it was luckily though they, they Miramax did a great job um, completing the film and uh, it was released to positive reviews. And um, Rotten Tomatoes um, praise its tone, its visuals, and, of course, Lee's performance. And uh, we'll get into the box office uh, towards the end. But, yeah, so let's, let's, uh, let's not waste any time. Let's get right into the, the plot here. We're gonna do, we're gonna, we, we've been going beat by beat here on the last few episodes. We're going to kind of skip over that a little bit. We're, gonna go, we're just going to go with the plot, and, and we're just going to go with some notes we got as we talk about the plot here. So... To start out, James, we're starting out on Devil's Night, October 30th, uh, and uh, we're at a crime scene. Uh, you know, I wrote at the beginning of this film that the the, the whole city's in shambles. It looks like Detroit um, broken, <laughs> completely broken, um, which is um, fun fact. James O'Barr is from Detroit. He's born and raised in Detroit, so that's the reason why this film takes place in Detroit, obviously. And the comic does, yeah, the comic does also. Um, but Sar- Sergeant Albert is at the scene of the crime where Shelley has been beaten and raped. Uh, her fiance, musician Eric Draven, uh, he lies dead on the street after being stabbed, shot, and thrown out a window. And you go through a flashback uh, of of that whole sequence throughout the film. It's it's really they really kind of stick it in your face throughout the film of what. Um, you know, um, T-Bird and his gang did to these two, especially Shelly. They, she, she really got the the wrong end of the stick. What What were your thoughts on the opening scene here, James? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I uh, I actually wrote the movie opens with a camera view of what I think is the crow flying throughout the city. Oh, I never um, thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I actually ended up watching the the first five minutes of the movie like three or four times because I started, I started it and then I got to like doing some research about the film and I was like, I should probably pay attention. So I like kept restarting it uh, just in case. Cause like the last few mu- movies we've done, I have just kind of picked up on like subtle things happening in the beginning. Like last week when we did alien, it was just like, I don't know. I mean, there wasn't anything that happened for like the first what, what did we say? Like seven minutes? It, it, was, it, like was, no dialogue? it was seven minutes before the first dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's a lot that's happening visually. So like, and, and like this movie, it opens up, you know, you have, um, uh, character Sarah is giving a bit of a monologue and, um, I'm not looking at the screen. So I was like, oh, I need to watch this. So I kept rewinding it. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I just sat there for a minute and just like, you know, paid attention for a moment. And yeah, it, it gave me kind of like, I kind of feel like that may have been the crow flying through the city. I never thought of that. And now that you say that, yeah. that makes total sense. Yeah. We're, we're, we're seeing things through the crow's eyes. Um, and we do, yeah. we do that 
a couple times, a few times throughout the movie. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Which is fantastic. But the couple had planned on getting married the following day on Halloween, and I like, <laughs> I like one of the lines. The guy, uh, this is gonna have explicit language, so uh, just, just, just so you know, the guy, <laughs> the guy said, "Who the fuck gets married on Halloween, anyhow?" <laughs> Sergeant <laughs> yeah. Albert's like, nobody. <laughs> Um, I, I know one person getting married on Halloween. <laughs> yes, I'm not getting married on Halloween. I'm actually getting married on Devil's Night. <laughs> yes, Devil's Night. You're right. You're right. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, we are getting married October 30th. Um, so as he leaves to the hospital <clears throat> um, with Shelly, Albrecht meets a girl. We meet Sarah, um, who, who, like you said at the top, gave a, a, a monologue. Um, of, it's 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 kind of it's kind of poetic. It's it's very mm-hmm. poetic and I love that beginning. Um, she says Sarah says that she's their friend, and that they take care of her, which they do. They kind of they're 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 in a way kind of her parents, to be to yeah, be flat like out honest. Yeah, surrogate parents. Yeah. yeah, and we find out uh, why, but um, Albert um, reluctantly tells to, he decides to tell her that Shelley's dying. Um, she already knows Eric's gone. Um, so we we fast forward to one year later, and we see. Um, and let me just say that. Ah, the music, the music is done by, I, I, I cannot, I hope it's, it's either Grammy or Graham. I'm not sure which, how you pronounce his first name, but anyway. Yeah, he, when I was writing that name down, I was like, I, I hope he pronounces this because I'm not going to be able to. <laughs> we're bad at pronunciations, guys. I do apologize. Um, don't beat us up too bad, okay? Um, he is from New Zealand, so uh, I'm, gonna I'm say, looking that up right now. I'm just going to say Graham. I'm just going to say Graham, yeah. Graham. Uh, I'm going to say Graham Revel. Yeah, that's good enough. I mean, sound it out, kids. Anyways, um, the music is <laughs> it's such an important part in, in every film that we've done so far. The music is stellar and is a huge piece to scenes in this movie. Um, and you get that right at the beginning of the film when they're cutting through the scene. They cut to the year later and you get that lovely just symphonic music that is it's very very melancholy um and very it's it's just it fits the scene so well um to me anyways but yeah we get we 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 pan to one year later and we see a crow tapping on eric's gravestone and um this is it this is uh this is when uh we get uh eric coming out of the grave he awakens and comes out of the grave and when he when he steps out of the grave he is thoroughly confused, which who wouldn't be, right? Yes. Um, so he's thoroughly confused, doesn't know what's going on, scared, but uh, he never, ever decayed. <laughs> uh, so right. let me ask you this, James, while we're on this little topic here, uh-huh. this little beat. Uh, do you think maybe the crow kept him alive, like kept his body fresh for a year? Because after a year, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to decompose pretty, pretty good. <laughs> What do you think about uh, that? You know what? I'm I'm actually gonna look that up real quick. But um, and I mean, okay, yeah. So after a year, he should have definitely been a skeleton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what? Too like because I mean, one, it's magic, <laughs> right? It's the movie. So I almost wonder if uh, when the crow taps at the grave, that um, because he's bringing him back to life, so like all that decomposition is reversed that could be but, we just don't see it you know, uh, we we don't see it yeah. so like we just accept 
it for what it is. But yeah, that is funny. Like he didn't even look like a zombie one bit. No. And I like that too, because in the comic book, they, they don't even, they don't show you at all how he came back. He just, oh, he just, okay. they don't even, see. I've never read the comic and I'm kind of disappointed. They, they don't even show the crow like on the grave at all. You, he just comes back and, and you don't really see that. It's left up to the imagination of the viewer, which is great. You know, whatever. Um, yeah. Through this whole scene, scene we finally meet um, the street gang that uh, who was responsible for the death of Eric and Shelley, headed by uh, T-Bird. And let me tell you, this guy is uh, he, he's menacing. He is rock and roll. Like this guy is um, he reminds me of a much uh, sinister version. Of course, I don't know. I didn't know Charlie Manson, but he kind of reminds me of Charlie Manson. <laughs> He's, he he kind of looks like him he too. He looks like Charlie Manson. <laughs> yeah, he, but he's got he, he's got this aura about him that uh, people people tend to, to to cling to and follow him. Right? He, he's got he's got his cronies and they stay with him and they they're the ones that um, are setting fires to the city on Devil's Night especially. And yeah. um, they're about to blow up something. We don't know. It looks like an arcade. I think it's an arcade. We find out later. It's an it arcade. is an arcade. Yeah. yeah. So they're setting that they're setting that up, and it looks like they did they kill somebody in there too. Did they kill people in the arcade before they blew it up? I can't remember. Uh, I don't know, viewers um, or uh, listeners rather. <laughs> uh, <laughs> add us with some of that information, would you? But um, so now we go back to Eric, and he is stumbling his way back to his apartment, which has been abandoned. Um, nobody ever rented it back out because that building was basically. <laughs> mostly condemned anyways like again this is a this is a detroit that is very um like i said broken uh the people that live there are struggling there severely you know there's not a whole lot of money there and um so this this apartment just there's there's not a whole lot of money and there's plenty of drugs so this apartment just, just stayed vacant um some of their stuff was even still in it um but uh all the while he's experiencing when he gets into the apartment, he starts experiencing flashbacks of, of T-Burn and his gang. We got 1010 fun boy skank, um, committing the murder. Um, and then, so he, this was really cool. And it took me a while, like for a long time, I didn't like because of the visualization of it. When, when he runs out to the window he's, he's, he's going through all this emotion, right? He's holding his hands out after he gets shot. And then he goes to basically throw himself out the window because he's reliving this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And he goes to throw himself out the window and he catches the glass, right? And that glass goes right through his hands. As he, but he flips up. But it looks like he, and he's looking straight down. But it, it's so, it's the, that angle so weird. I, it, it took me forever to finally grasp like which way I was looking there. But he, right. um, he realizes that his wounds, uh, that he gets immediately heals. Um, and he understands that the crow that was there with him when he came out of the grave is there to help him, um, avenge he and Shelley's death. Um, so he knows what he's got to do. And this is, this is uh, a scene where, well, basically, let's 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 rewind. What did you think about that whole sequence there, um, James? As you were going through that, what what did you have in your notes? Um, let's see. I don't know if I wrote anything down at that point. I think I was just watching, but I did find it interesting. Oh yeah, I wrote the crow takes him back to his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I did enjoy. 
enjoy is a weird word to say in this moment, but just like cinematically how they decided to sh- tell the story in flashbacks at that point. Mm-hmm. And we, we all know why, at least if you've seen the movie and you know the history, we know why they told a lot of this in, in flashbacks, but uh, we'll touch on that later. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, it was like, when he, I, I too, when he jumped out the window there and like grabbed on, the camera angle is, is awkward. And I had to rewind it a couple of times to like see what was going on. Cause a lot of these city scenes were shot with miniatures. I don't know if anyone knows that, but um, that was something that I, I was researching cause I knew it. You can tell this, the, the buildings are miniatures, but um, yeah, they did a lot of miniature shots to make the city look really big. Um, I didn't know that. And so like, <laughs> I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, all, all I was looking all over because they. I was like, where did they film at? It was in North Carolina, which we can talk on that in a little bit. But there was a reason why they filmed in North Carolina. It had something to do with um, uh, work work rights or I don't know. Probably some nonsense that was going on in the nineties that I'm not privy to. But um, so I guess a lot of the um scenes were shot there but like as far as the city shots they were all miniature work and miniature camera work uh so it was interesting seeing how they pieced together you know him flying out of this building yeah (laughs) but it's like he's not really you know in a building (laughs) no yeah it's really cool i did all that um so we get back to eric and he's we're going to get in the soundtrack, but this is one of the best soundtracks ever. <laughs> uh, as a, Yeah, as, there was some good songs. In oh, this. my God. As a kid of the 80s and 90s, like this is one of the best soundtracks ever. Um, and the songs fit so well in here like this. Ah, OK, anyways, <laughs> um, you know, we see him. He he. He's pissed. <laughs> you know, he realizes what happened and he's pissed about it. He realized, you know, he's back and he can do something about this, right? So he 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 said he's not going to go out there as Eric Draven. No, he's going out there as something else. And we see him, you know, he puts on some of his rock star clothes because he was in a band called Hang Hangman's Joke, which is a fantastic it's a fantastic band name. And uh, it really is. It's freaking awesome. And so he he puts on some some of his old rock star gear and um, he uses electrical tape on his hands. Not really sure why. Uh, yeah. but the aesthetic, it looks, I like the aesthetic of it. looks really good. And then he paints his face, um, because he has, they have that, that little, um, uh, mask there of the, of the theater, uh, face, you know, the happy, sad mime type face paints himself up like a mime type deal. And, um, do you know where that was inspired by? No, I don't James. Go ahead. Um, so a lot of people think that it was inspired by kiss and Alice, Alice Cooper. But it turns out that the original creator, James O'Barr, was inspired by a marionette mask that he saw at a, on a sign in London mm-hmm. like when he was at a theater. Yeah. So the fact that they used that marionette sign in the movie was like a really cool touch. Yeah. Again, Alex Price and, and, and Brandon Lee, they really, 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 they were, they were extremely passionate about this movie. And it shows. I mean, this, this mm-hmm. movie still lives up today you know 30 some odd years later and that's because of their passion that they had for this movie and and that's just one of the many things that they included um that i love i absolutely love about that so he paints his face up like that marionette like you said 
and uh, it's on. Funny, the we talked about they had to do some rewrites and reshoots with a uh, stunt double and some computer graphics. Um, the scene where we see Eric uh, as the crow in the first shot there, where he's standing, you, all you see is a silhouette. He's standing through his window, and then lightning strikes, and you can see his whole face. That's not Brandon Lee. That's the stunt double. Mm-hmm. That's one of the. Didn't they use uh, his brother as like face reference too? Brandon Lee didn't have a brother. No. Okay, then maybe. What did I read? Maybe it was a stunt double. It was a stunt double. Did the stunt double have a brother? <laughs> I read the word brother. Earlier. <laughs> no, it was it was a stunt double. I don't I don't okay. know I don't have any more information about that, but um, that that scene in particular I know was not Brandon. That was the stunt double. But they did mm-hmm. a really good job. They taken Brandon's likeness or face and and putting it on this stunt double. It looked it looked very convincing to me. Um, yeah. And then you have that beautiful uh, <laughs> shot with him and the crow. And then, of course, we got the the cure in the background. It's fantastic. <laughs> and then we get another great song by Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> it's a cover of the Joy Division's. Uh, um, oh my gosh, I'll get to it here in a minute. But anyways, we get Eric. <laughs> he he's coming through the streets, and we, and and as he as he's as he's going through the streets, we 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 come on Ten uh, Ten. Um, who is he? He's very very knife friendly. He loves his knives. And he's going to a uh, pawn shop to pawn uh, uh, Shelly's engagement ring. Um, and among other things. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> that's, that whole scene is kind of funny uh, with, uh, with Gideon there. We, we, Gideon is, he, he's scum. He's a scumbag. Um, but he's less of a scumbag than, than T-Bird and his gang are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's you know he he sees these guys for the pure trash that they are, um, but at the same time he just goes along with it <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, so anyway, you know, ten 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 takes whatever he gets from Gideon. Uh, I think it was like what was it he was selling? I think it was a purse. It was a leather purse. It was. It was a leather purse. And Getty was like, uh, what is this, Tencent, a bloodstain? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and let me say, Gideon has a his pinky ring, his pinky finger, his nail was like 14 inches long, dude. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Yeah, next, oh, next time, I'm disappointed. Next, next time you watch that, check that out. Yeah. His nail was extremely long. That's funny. But uh, anyway, he takes it and goes and uh locks the place up because i guess they getting was getting ready to close and that's when eric uh spots 1010 through the crow's eyes because now we know that he can look through the crow's eyes which is freaking cool what a cool power to have right yeah i need that it makes me think of um um what's the falcon yeah yeah he has his little his little uh Little recon bird. Yeah, yeah. Only except this is totally this is only <laughs> a real bird. Right, it's a real bird. And it's totally psychic. Right. It's a psychic psychic link, which is freaking awesome. Um, Speaking of birds, I wanted to get this out uh, before I forget. Did you know that they didn't actually use a crow as the bird? I did not. Yeah, it's it, it's a raven. Yeah, raven's much much larger because crows are incredibly difficult to train. Mm-hmm. Apparently ravens are easier to train. They're, yeah, they're smarter. And they wanted to use real birds. Yeah. Which, you know, with the limitations of a 90s film and animating or CGI to begin with, I understand why they would want to use 
a real bird or even a puppet bird, but I guess the magic of using a real bird m- makes it more convincing maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I found that out when I was doing some research on the film that they didn't actually use crows. That's awesome. And that makes sense because ravens are much larger and this was a large bird. I mean, even, he, a pretty he, big bird. even in the film, like uh, when the bird flies in the fun boy's window and, and Darla's <laughs> like, there's a big fucking bird over there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll get to that. I, I love that. Um, I like the scene where where Eric he he's he's going over top of the rooftops right and you got that beautiful mm-hmm. Nine Inch Nails song playing in the background. It's a Joy Division cover. Um, and um, he falls down the building, falls off the roof, and that he he just lands. And as he's falling, it's in slow motion. And you can just there's there's little things about this movie I love. Like for instance, in the beginning when he's going back to his apartment and you can hear him breathing. It's real kind of a you know, it's a real heavy breathing as he's going into the apartment. Same here. It's a real heavy breathing. And as he's falling, he just goes, he just, you know, oh, and then he just falls. It's so good. Um, but anyway, he lands. He realizes that, hmm, I'm good. <laughs> like, I should be broken, but I'm good. So then he gets that, you get that maniacal laugh, which I love from Brandon Lee. He killed this, he killed this performance. Um, and then, and then, you see him. He kind of he kind of creeps up on Ten Ten like uh like Freddy Krueger almost. Really, it was reminiscent of that from Nightmare on Elm Street. But uh, yeah, you know, it definitely had some spook about oh, him for sure. It was great. And we Ten Ten sees him, and he's I don't know if he's smoking crack. I don't know, I don't know what he's doing, but um he's he's and he's like Halloween until mañana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah. eric's not there to talk <laughs> well at least not no. at first <laughs> so a fight not a fight all. ensues and uh eric gets some information from uh 1010 1010 thinks he's got the better of him no he doesn't uh eric winds up using his knives to to uh, end his life and we find out later he puts his knives in all his major organs in alphabetical order <laughs> Which is fantastic. It's well done. But I love the line where right before he does the kill, the kill uh, stab there. Um, I love the line victims. Aren't we all uh, mm-hmm. fantastic? So the, the crow, like I said, we, 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 we've, we've killed 1010 and Eric takes him, takes his coat and he's going to the pawn shop where 1010 pawn Shelley's engagement ring and he forced the owner Gideon to return it. And uh, there's a cool spot. There's a cool sequence in there where Gideon is uh, <laughs> he's trying to he's trying to shoot him, and he shoots him, and it, the hole just goes right through, and, and then it heals up. And then <laughs> I love the line: "You're looking for a corner, shit for brains." But um, <laughs> that whole sequence is awesome. What do you think of the the sequence where he first walks into Gideon's and he's knocking on the door and he does the whole? Suddenly, I heard a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping on my chamber door. And then he does a little shoulder rub. You heard me rapping, right? It's just fantastic. He just, yeah. it's just, I don't know. I'm, no, I'm, geek, I'm geeking out. I actually of wrote down in my notes, uh, um, great one-liners because, like, yeah. I mean, I know that's the kind of like what his character is. He just has these like one line jokes that, but like not in a corny way. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're so fantastic. They are amazing. Um, and yeah. I love how he comes up to the door. You see a silhouette and he's like, I, I can't remember what Gideon says exactly, but 
He's like, yeah, get out of here. We're we're closed. You know, like go it's bother off. someone we're else. Closed. Yeah, go sleep it off yeah. somewhere else, Dusthead. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Want to get mutilated? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he just doesn't listen. He just keeps coming in. No, and oh, I and I believe great. the bird flies through the window and breaks the or uh, the door rather. Yeah, and breaks uh, he, the door. I think. He either breaks the glass and the bird flies in, or the bird breaks it as it flies in. But yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I I like the part where, okay, he she tries to sh- he tries to shoot him, and of course that doesn't work. And then um, we see he tries to take a baseball bat to him, and right. and, and he flips upside down. And he's like, Mister Gideon, you're not paying attention. Yeah, he's like <laughs> hanging from a from the ceiling a bit upside down. Yeah, you're not paying attention, and then. Hits him in the face and then stabs him in the hand and he's like, "I repeat, a gold engagement ring, yes." <laughs> and then uh, yeah. as Eric goes and finds a ring, and it's funny because he 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 closes his eyes and goes through all these rings, and he's like, "No, yeah, because no, he no. can uh, he's accessing his memories yeah. via touch, yes, which is an amazing yeah. power to have." And he finds it, yeah. and then you go we go through a flashback where he's remembering uh, how he asked her and. Um, it's really painful. It, I mean, you gotta you gotta imagine how painful that would be to be in that mm-hmm. situation and have to suffer through all that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But um, it makes you fall in love with his character even more it does. because they, like you mentioned at the top, they keep doing these flashbacks, and it's almost like they're beating us over the head uh, of like what happened to these two people. They are. Um, they but are. But in a way that isn't one too overbearing, but it, it does it in such a way that it makes you truly mourn with this character. And like, Oh my God, like he, he's, you know, he, he's getting the opportunity that he deserves to, to write this wrong. Right. And, and, and you know, what's funny that same sequence, he comes back with that ring and, um, he's thrown that ring at Gideon. Each one is a life, a life you help destroy. Right. Because mm-hmm. he knows that this, this this stuff was taken. It it wasn't right. it wasn't it wasn't pawned there. It was taken. It was I, taken, and then those guys got paid out. Right. Um. <laughs> but yeah. It seemed like Gideon was a fence for all of these criminals. You know, cleaning their money, if you will. Yeah, he was definitely in their pockets, so to speak. Yeah. Um. And they exploited that, but so. <laughs> Eric then blows the shop up and which is great. You can see him spray. He takes the guitar on the way out. He says, is that in the comic is, is that carrot? He says, is that kerosene I smell? But in the, in the movie it's, is, is that gasoline I smell? And mm-hmm. then, uh, Gideon knows that he's, he needs to get the hell out of there and he blows it up. Uh, he spares Gideon so that he can warn the others. Um, which is another good one liner. Tell him Eric Draven sends his regards. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, we, now we meet fun boy and, uh, fun boy is with Sarah's drug, drug addict mother, Darla. And, um, we just see how big of a piece of absolute garbage Darla is, first of all, because she's got this beautiful daughter in Sarah and this city is so, you know, crime infested and just drug infested and she's constantly high Fun boys, they're all constantly just high, <laughs> yeah, and just no give no shits about anything else. And um, so <clears throat> we find Fun Boy and Darla. They go up to his little apartment. I guess they live above the bar. Yeah, Fun Boy lives above uh, the pit. 
the pit, right? And um, also, there's a scene in here where they're swallowing they're swallowing bullets. Yes, I think it's I towards the beginning. Yeah, they're swallowing they ta- bullets, they taking, taking shots. shots and swallowing <laughs> the bullet. Would you do that? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. Fire it up. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's another fun fact about the bullets. I was reading. Um, the so I think they they tried using dummies. Um, for I don't know about for that specific scene, but a lot of the scenes where they had revolvers, they um they they wanted to use dummy rounds, but they they clearly didn't look real. Right, and so they took real bullets, took them apart, and um like took all the gunpowder out, and then put the bullet back on, and then that's what they put in the revolvers. So like some of the revolvers, you could see bullets in the chamber. The chamber um, that I guess because the actual bullet looked <laughs> real, right, right, <laughs> um, with like lighting and stuff. But yeah, so I I wonder I wonder if those one because like they obviously didn't swallow them, but uh, I wonder if those were <laughs> be like also taking a vitamin, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like taking a vitamin. Hey. <laughs> you got to get your multivitamins somehow. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will say not only Brandon Lee did a fantastic, this whole cast did a fantastic job. Like Darla, the the woman that played Darla, and we'll get into the cast here shortly. She did a fantastic job. They, I mean, just across the board. Um, but now we get into fun boy. They're up there. They're shooting up heroin. And, um, you know, Eric comes in through the window <laughs> very creepily. I might add. And yes. uh, he's very quick. Like when he comes to that window, he's very, very quick about it. He, Swift. Yes. He gets in and, and that's where they say, there's a big fucking bird over there. And, uh, cause they're, 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 I mean, they keep the windows open. The place is trashed. Um, and he comes in and <laughs> he runs up to him. Like he's getting ready to stab him, And then realizing that they're high, how much it would mess with them and elevate their heart rate. Yeah. And, uh, I like I I love the line here, where Fun Boy says Jesus Christ, and he goes Jesus Christ. Stop me if you heard this one. Jesus Christ walks into a hotel, and then he gets shot. And he says, "Ow." <laughs> right. <laughs> he, says, he, he says he hands the innkeeper three nails, and he asks, "Can you put me up for the night?" What a crude joke, but it works so well in oh, that it's setting. Great. <laughs> so uh, it's great, like. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like this movie has just like the best one-liners. It really like, they're does. just fantastic. Yes. Uh, like I, I love the part where he gets shot and he's like, ow. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, oh yeah, I got him. And he's like, oh wait a minute. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, so, um, <laughs> and then there's a great scene where he goes to shoot him again. And, and Eric's like, okay, I've had enough. And then he, he like, he knocks the gun out as he's shooting and he shoots himself. Fun boy shoots himself in the leg and he's like, look what you've done to my sheets. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, so man. good. It's so, so good. And you almost feel bad for fun boy. Cause you know, he's just like, he high as a kite right. at this moment. He, they're all <laughs> just drug. They're just so dr- strung out on drugs. Um, and you, it's funny and you kind of sympathize with him in a way cause he's kind of likable at this time, but mm-hmm. he is the one that really, um, really did, a uh, well, they all raped Shelly, but you see him the kind of the most and, yeah. and we see Eric at one point, you know, he, um, when he's at Gideon's, 
Gideon's giving him the list of all the all the guys in that gang, and he goes across as Fun Boy, and you see Eric, he says Fun Boy, and then we go back to a flashback where uh, Eric remembers that he remembers through mm-hmm. Shelley's eyes of them raping her, especially yeah. Fun Boy. So at this at this particular sequence, he is like he's he's a likable bad guy, right? But um, anyway, Eric drags him to the to the to the bathroom. He wants him to wake back up because he's fell out. He's he's unconscious. He you know he passes out. And um, again, the lady that plays Darla here, which I can't remember her name. We'll get into the cast here in a second. Sells, I got it right here. S- go ahead. What's her? It's something. It's uh, Anna Levine. Anna Levine. Levine. Yeah. Yes. 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 Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. She sells this particular scene so well because he walks in there with with Fun Boy's body and throws him into the shower and turns the water on and you could see like she's screaming and it's mm-hmm. not one of those screams where like in Friday the 13th or a movie like that, where you can just tell like, it's not really, it's, it's very, very forced. This is, this feels like a real genuine, uh, terror. Like she's, she tries to stab him with a, a uh, looks like a razor blade or something. Yeah. It's an old school razor blade. Yeah, she looks terrified. She did a really good job. Yeah, good. Well, of, and, and of course she's looking scared. Right, and she's strung out on on. And she's high too. Right. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that doesn't help. But no. he confronts her. He squeezes the morphine from her veins and says a fantastic line that really wakes her up. And and do you remember what line he said? I do, but I want I want to see if you know it. Not word for word. I just know he says that you have uh you have a daughter running around out the streets. Yeah, there's a lot of. Yeah. He might have said something like, you know, there's bad people out there. I can't remember the exact. He said, quote. he says, he tells her to look in the mirror and he says, look, mother is the name for God on the lips and hearts of all That's children. Right. He says, you, your daughter is waiting for you on the streets. Uh, and then he says, morphine is bad for you. And, um, and that's, that's basically what he says. And so, yeah, that wakes her up and, um, Let's see here. Where am I? <laughs> uh, and then this this makes her realize that Sarah needs to be a good mother. Like she needs to turn her life around. Um, <clears throat> and then we we kind of fast forward here a little bit. Eric visits Albrecht and and he explain he, he explains who he is and why he's here. And Albrecht tells him um, what he knows about Shelley's death and that he watched her suffer for thirty hours before dying. And and Eric touches his he touches his face and feels the pain that Shelley felt through those hours, which is insane. Yes. And he uses that to his advantage later. And we'll find that out later on. But, um, man, I'm telling you, it's, uh, that whole scene is very, very powerful. And especially I like when Eric comes in and he goes, boo. <laughs> and, uh, he says freeze. Yeah, freeze. That's why he says freeze. Yeah. And, and, and uh, <laughs> he's like, He's like, you still have your hat on. <laughs> yeah. He's like in a t-shirt and his bog tubes, but he still has his hat on. <laughs> that whole scene is very, very touching because yeah. you start to see the bond between those two. Because yes. we, we saw they had a confrontation after Gideon's blew up. And um, some. Oh, another, did, uh, another yeah. fun fact. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm the fun fact guy today. Um, so the original creator, James o- Obar. He had a cameo in this film and it was at the pawn shop. After it blows up, you see the people in the background mm-hmm. looting. Uh, one of the first people that the, the camera 
shows like carrying something out was James O'Barr. I did not know that. See, you're you're yeah. teaching me stuff today, man. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I'm the teacher. That's, no. <laughs> that's awesome. I just I just looked up uh like just like fun facts about the film earlier. Yeah. Just trying to find neat stuff out, but that, yeah, that's, I thought that was cool. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. One of the first people to have a, a creator own cameo, yeah. which, you know, later on Marvel turned into like a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. With Stan Lee, every, I mean, every movie. I digress. Yeah. Anyways. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, Eric felt, felt that pain. And like I said, they, they really, they had a very, very touching relationship. I thought, mm-hmm. uh, Eric and Albrecht, um, but, um, so Eric takes those 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 thirty hours of pain, and he he remembers that. Um, um, let's see. But after after Sarah and her mother begin, they they try to start re- repairing their relationship. Sarah wakes up and she realizes she sees Darla's making some eggs, <laughs> and uh, she's like, "What did you take to be mother of the year?" <laughs> you know, and yeah. she was like, uh, "No, nothing." You know, I just I just a friend woke me up and. She starts to doubt her and says, um, aren't you supposed to be, I forget what, I forget the line, but, um, and she calls her Darla or something like that. And that really kind of, Darla looks at her and just kind of says, I wasn't good at this mommy shit anyways. And starts to throw the eggs away. And Sarah's like, this is my chance. Uh, I like him. I like him over easy. And, mm-hmm. uh, so we see that relationship get repaired again. It's so, it's these little moments in this movie that you know, really help make this movie what it is and such powerful notes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I would wager that whether it was intentional or not, it feels like they're, they're draping this little silver lining of hope. Yes. Throughout the film. And this is like, this is a bleak movie. (laughs) Yeah. Very like it literally rains the whole film. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Even though he has a great quote, it says it can't rain all the time. Yes, it does. It really, it does the whole film. There is. <laughs> I actually thought of that later because he says that to Sarah, and that's when she realizes who he is. Yeah. And uh, towards the end of the film, I was like, "Man, it is not stopped raining." He he freaking lied to her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We forgot that scene where she first encounters him. Um, yeah. She's skateboarding, and uh, I like Albrecht says, "How do you control that thing on a wet street?" <laughs> And uh, she says, pure talent. Um, yeah, he, he rescues her from getting ran over by a car. And she's like, what, are yeah. you supposed to be a clown or something? And he's like, sometimes. Yeah. And then um, she says something about that, how that guy was a dickhead or something. And um, yeah, she said she said something about it raining. And that's when Eric says it can't rain all the time. And then, of course, she turns around and he's gone. Um, yeah, which, like Batman. Like Batman, <laughs> but, but much cooler. Um, right. but Sarah, after this, she goes to the apartment because she realizes that was Eric and, um, she tells him that she misses him, him and Shelly and, um, she's getting ready to take off cause he's not answering her. She knows that he's there. Uh, he was there burning pictures before she got there. Um, um, which was sad, you know, like in the comic book, you spend a lot of, t- a lot more time with Eric than you do any other character. And he spends a lot of time mourning in that apartment. Um, and it's really, really cool how James O'Barr sets that whole thing up. And they do, they, they, they do that a little bit in this film, but not nearly as much as they did in the comic, which is understandable because it, you know, this, this film is 102 minutes long. It's a very short film, but, um, uh, Eric ensures her that although they can't be friends anymore, he still cares about her. 
Um, and that and that part of the scene, it's not raining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The sun comes out, and it's that's it's actually a really cool sequence because he's standing he's standing looking out the window. You just can't see him, and then you know we see that you don't actually see him at first. You just see a silhouette. You see a, from we're looking at <laughs> we're looking at Sarah when he appears, and that's when the sun comes out and says, you know, Sarah, I do care. But um, so then we had over we we finally. Um, we meet, uh, we get, we, we, we come back to T-Bird and Skank and, um, they stop at a convenience store to pick up some supplies and, uh, Skank's in there and then they don't, they don't pay for anything. Obviously they just go in there and take what they want and, uh, you know, caution to the wind. Everybody fears them. Uh, while Skank's in there, Eric, uh, is, has been in the back seat of this, of this, uh, T-Bird's T-Bird. <laughs> uh, very badass car, by the way. Uh, and it did look pretty cool. I like I like how he pops up. And uh, he's like, who the fuck are you supposed to be, man? He's like, <laughs> I'm your passenger. Drive. That's <laughs> fantastic. Um, so, and then Skank sees, well, he sees them fleeing. And he's like, what is, what is going on? So then he runs out there like an idiot out in the middle of the road, gets hit by a car, hits the dude. <laughs> it's like <laughs> trying to beat him up for hitting his car, steals the guy's car and, uh, follow, he follows and, and he eventually witnesses, um, Eric kill T-Bird in a very, very, uh, awesome and amazing way. Of course, we get that famous shot that you see in all the trailers of, Eric um, lighting the the symbol of the crow after he's killed mm-hmm. T Bird. T Bird that 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 whole sequence was really really cool. The cops and the chase and um, how it eventually ended and how Skank wound up the cops wound up hitting Skank at probably eighty miles an hour. <laughs> um, of course, we see those two cops later on and they weren't dead, but the sequence where um, Eric has him. Right before he kills him, he's got him tied to the car, to the, to the, to the, um, oh yeah, he's duct taped to the seat. He's duct taped to the seat. He's got explosives in between him, in between his legs. And, um, the fear in his eyes and when he realizes who it is and oh yeah, it, that's such a, um, it's, again, it's such, I, I keep going back to this. It's such an amazing, powerful scene. He's like, I know you, but you ain't you. You, you can't come back. There's no coming back. There's, you know, he, he just keeps, this is the real this is world, the really real world. There ain't no coming back. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he is, yeah, he realizes that, wow. Okay. I, I guess this happened <laughs> and I'm dead. Yeah. And then he yeah. bashed the devil stood. And of course we get that line that he says at the beginning of the film where right before T-Bird and he's quoting a poem. Am I right? He's, he's quoting out of, out of the Bible. That's a, it's a, it's oh, a Bible. Okay. It's a Bible verse. And he bashed the devil stood and felt how awful, awful goodness was. And, um, that's what he says as he's going out into the Harbor. And then of course the, the, uh, the skank sees this whole thing and the car blow up with T-Bird inside. He was fused at the car when they found him. <laughs> um, but, uh, skank, uh, escapes and goes to top dollar. Who is the main, main bad guy, the whole, the whole film, um, and this guy, boy, uh, what did you think of Top Dollar? <laughs> and <laughs> he was my my emotions were confused when I first met because he's like he's like the well 
the top dollar. He's like the, the crime boss of crime bosses. Everything has to pass through him right. for it to pe- come to pass. And he's just, you know, he's just, I don't know, like the Tony Montana of this film. <laughs> he's got this pile, like giant pile of <laughs> cocaine <laughs> that he was like just taking, taking some runs from. <laughs> I don't know. Like when I first, I guess when I first saw him, I kind of chuckled because it's like classic bad guy vibe. And it, but it was, it felt like very on the nose <laughs> and I did, I did chuckle. I was like, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like a pile of cocaine. <laughs> oh dude. It is like, it is, uh, it is a mountain of cocaine. <laughs> it is a mountain oh, of cocaine. And okay, let's, let's get this. Let's, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room right now. He is engaging in sexual acts with his sister. <laughs> To be fair, it is half sister, yeah. apparently, allegedly. <laughs> One of the lines where Gideon comes up to him and he says, "It's my father's daughter." What? Can't you see the resemblance? Uh, <laughs> so that's a little gross. Um, yeah. In the comics, um, she's like a witch too, right? Or like, she, excuse me, witch she, vibes. Yeah, she's kind of witchy. In the comics, yeah. she's not a character. She's not in the comics. Oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, but so they made her for the comics. But anyways, um. They're they're just as sinister as everybody else. Matter of fact, they're more sinister yeah. because they they tear up. She tears out people's eyeballs. She's got an obsession with eyeballs, uh, and um, they smoke an eyeball. Like, how do you smoke I an saw eyeball? That, yeah, because he takes like a hit of the smoke, and I'm like, wait, I'm like, it was just an eyeball I, in there, bro. I'm like, I'm like, are you guys just constantly? That's some witchcraft. That's some witchcraft crap right there. Are you smoking everything you could smoke? Yeah, I mean. Gosh dang, bro! Uh, but yeah, so we meet we meet Top Dollar. Uh, he's the crime boss who controls all the streets in the gang. And Top Dollar and his ha- lover slash half sister Micah, uh, <laughs> they become aware of Eric's actions uh, through various reports from witnesses. And uh, Top Dollar holds a meeting with his associates where they discuss a new plan for Devil's Night's criminal activities. And uh, Eric is after Skank. He's looking for Skank, right? And yep. he arrives, and uh, I love this part. And this is this is very Batman esque. This part right here, where mm-hmm. he walks in and he says, uh, "He says, so you're the ki- you're you're him, huh? The Avenger, the killer of killers." And uh, Eric's just like, "I just want him." <laughs> Point, points at Skank, yeah, right. and Skank's like, "Oh." you know freaking out because he's strung out on drugs uh shocker and uh top dollar's like well you can't have him and then this scene was it's it's good but it's kind of cringeworthy like this is not not one of the more powerful scenes but he stands up on the table and he says well i see you've made your decision now let's see you enforce it and of course they all open fire on him and uh this is when the cool stuff that that the one of the best parts of the movie ensue with it, like the one of the most action-packed movies ensues and gunfight breaks out. Everyone's present, including Skank, uh, and Eric mows through every one of them with guns, with swords. He's backflipping off of stuff. He's cutting people mm-hmm. down. At one point, he even says, "You're all going to die." <laughs> <laughs> and that whole scene—it's so industrial. It's so '90s. It's so amazing. You got these flashing lights going on. It's just so so cool. What what is your what was your thoughts? Because being a child of the 90s, 80s and 90s, it 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 holds near and dear to my heart. Because I'm also a big Nine Inch Nails fan. I like in, industrial music, old school 90s industrial music, and uh, it's just so so uh, great. So, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? 
when he first walked in and he like pulls the chair to the side yeah. and then just like sits on the table in your style <laughs> like yeah. cross legged yeah <laughs> and i was like all right like i i i kind of in a way i get like the the dark knight heath ledger joker meets like batman became one person right and you even get the, <laughs> you, know? you even get that line from top dollar uh nice outfit I mean, straight out of Batman. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm not sure about the face, though. But yeah. 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 <laughs> so, that is uh, that is good stuff. And and when you know they they all they all unload their magazines on him and he drops to the ground. Um, and the one guy goes to check and he's like, well, "Where'd he go?" He just starts like pulling people <laughs> under the table. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. That kind of that kind of made me feel like I was uh I was in Blade. Like I feel like that would would be something you'd see in Blade, like just the ac- action sequence. Well, Blade um, Blade came after or this, or even uh, Underworld as well. Yeah. like you know what I mean. Right. Like just very. Um, you could, that they they definitely took inspiration. Those movies in particular took inspiration from this movie. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a decent uh, action scene with like everybody, everybody all in the same room there at the. This massive table. <laughs> yeah, it's and and it's still piled to the brim with cocaine, a mountain of cocaine. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, Guns, drugs, and money. <laughs> right. But uh, okay, so he gets Eric literally kills everybody. However, Top Dollar, Micah, and Grange, who happens to be Tony Todd, Candyman, um, they escape. They escape. Um, but um, Skank does not. <laughs> And no. uh, Eric throws Skank through a window, killing him. He lands on that same cop car of the same <laughs> cops that were going after him while he was chasing T-Birds, <laughs> uh, yeah. which was very, very poetic and ironic. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but <clears throat> uh, Top Dollar, uh, Micah, and Grange figure out that and I don't, I'm not sure how they figure this out. I'm guessing it's through Micah because she's the one that she, she takes a feather, um, from the crow while this whole gunfight mm-hmm. is going on. <clears throat> and, um, she says the crow is his link from the land of the living to the land of the dead. So she figures it out and they, they all figure it out that, okay, we got to kill the crow, kill the man. Um, so Eric, Having finished his quest, because he's killed everybody that's that that you know he needed to take care of, he returns mm-hmm. to the grave, and that's where Sarah bids him farewell, and he gives her Shelley's engagement ring, which is a very touching scene, um, because he's not showing a whole lot of emotions to her until this part, and that's where he you know he puts it around her neck and you know says I think Sarah, Sarah you know Shelley would like you to have this and. It's a very, very touching scene. And then, mm-hmm. but she, she walks away with it and she says she's never going to take it off. And Grange abducts her. Um, so how they find Sarah, I'm not sure. I don't know how they figure out where she is. Or... I think it was just like, a, it seemed almost a um, wrong place, wrong time. Like they may have been going for him and just happened upon her right maybe that's what happened i, I don't know yeah. but he abducts he abducts sarah and then takes her into the church nearby where top dollar and mike are awaiting they got a whole plan here and um <clears throat> through the crow's eyes eric realizes what's happened and he goes to rescue her and we get this it's from the trailer it's a beautiful awesome amazing scene and it's 
iconic for this film where he's walking through the door, the rain's falling, uh, 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 Grammy, uh, Graham uh, Revel's music is very, very um, on point at this particular scene. And he's walking through that church and um, the look on his face is, it says it all, you know, he's pissed. He wants Sarah. He wants to get her back unharmed and knows that he's going to have to do some crazy stuff to do that. But um, let's see. Unfortunately, Grange, after Micah divines that any injury suffered by the crow will harm him, shoots the crow after it flies in the church, uh, sapping Eric of his immortality. Um, Micah grabs the wounded crow, intending to take its mystical power. Um, She wants the power for herself. So she plans on, I don't know how she plans on getting it. Uh, but she was trying to take that mystical power for himself and we actually, for herself rather, we actually learn a little bit about the crow's mystical power in the sequel city of angels, um, Mm. which we will, maybe we'll do that movie one day. It's, it's actually a pretty good movie. It doesn't, not to divvy off here, but it it doesn't compare to the first one, but you know what sequels do, but uh, it's a good movie in its own right. Um, Albrecht arrives, we get Albrecht coming back. He wants to pay his respects to Eric um, just after Eric is shot and wounded, uh, top dollar grabs Sarah and climbs the bell tower. Uh, uh, Batman, anybody 1989's Batman, anybody, bro. I was just <laughs> thinking that I didn't, I didn't connect the dots until we were sitting here talking about it. And it's like, how many bad guys go to the top of a church <laughs> Well, in, <laughs> as their like last stand? <laughs> right. But this movie had to have that because this is such a, no, for sure. such a Gothic movie. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just funny to think of that because we, you know, our first episode is Batman '89, right? Exactly. <laughs> so like, just like overanalyzing that now. This it's just a funny a funny link. Yes, exactly. Um, we see um, as, as the fight ensues, Albert kills Grange. She shoots him dead. Meanwhile, he gets shot though by Micah. Uh, she shoots mm-hmm. him, and she has, all the while she's holding the crow. The crow's not dead. The crow's not dead. He's just wounded. It's just wounded, and, <clears throat> and the crow escape, escapes Micah's grip, claws her eyeballs out, pecks her eyeballs out, uh, which is fitting because she's all about eyeballs, right? Yes. And then irony came full circle. Exactly, which I loved. And she's just hanging there. She like she hangs on the on the bell on the bell rope, and you get we get a glimpse of her with just her eyeballs pecked out, and she's like. It's so awful. <laughs> like you, yeah. you almost feel bad for her, but then you don't cause you realize she's, you know, a scumbag, but <clears throat> uh, eventually she falls to her death cause she can't hang on. She can't see what she's hanging on to cause she's blind. Um, <laughs> uh, Albert, uh, like we said, was wounded. Eric climbs to the top of the top of the uh, church on his own cause Eric has been shot. Uh, top dollar, um, shot him and that, that wound stayed there <laughs> cause he, you know, the crow was, uh, was shot as well. So, um, at, that was actually a really funny moment too. Yeah. Uh, it's fleeting, but he stands there and they have their little engagement and he shoots him in the shoulder Yeah, and, and uh, Eric, he kind of, you know, he, you see him, he kind of, you know, he's getting ready cause he's, he's not used to this. Right. He doesn't know he doesn't have power anymore. So he gets shot and he's like, you know, about to laugh it off or whatnot. And he touches his arm. Yeah. He sees the blood. And he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, he falls. <laughs> he's very, he's very, very confident. He's very, very confident. Yeah. That's and he walks in and he yeah. says, give me the girl and I'll let you walk out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. very, very confident. And uh, I like Top Dollar's one line. He's like, uh, got a, got a, uh, what does he say? Got a uh, situation here. And he's like, uh, oh, bang, fuck, I'm dead. You know, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. But, um, so we're, we're at, we're at the top of the church there with it's Eric versus top dollar and they fight. And, um, eventually top dollar gets the best of them. And this is a good, really good fight. You know, top dollar, has got his sword. Eric doesn't have anything at first, but then takes uh, a lightning rod again and gets struck by lightning in the process of taking it. So clearly he's not, you know, completely uh, sapped of his power, but, um, and they, so he fights him back with that, but, but eventually Sarah's getting ready to fall. Like she's hanging on by a thread and she calls out for Eric. And when he's looking away and trying to reach her to make sure she's safe, top dollar t- takes advantage of that and stabs him right to the right to the gut and um he falls down to the ground um i think sarah winds up pulling herself up or something i don't remember that sequence entirely but she's still hanging okay she's still hanging so yeah he falls mm-hmm. down and that's where top dollar admits ultimate responsibility um for for their for his and shelly's death and mm-hmm. um Eric says, uh, I have something I want to give you. I, I don't want it anymore. And it's that 30 hours of pain that he um, experienced himself from um, Albrecht when he touched Albrecht's face uh, towards the beginning of the film, right? So he gives that to Top Dollar. And this mentally destroys Top Dollar, right? He's he's vacant. Like he's, he, yeah. his mind is, is, is gone. Uh, after this and he just lets him fall to his death and he falls right onto some gargoyles with uh, like very very pointy things <laughs> it winds up being like a a blood fountain of uh, top dollar's yeah. blood which is really really it's that a, was actually kind of cool i don't know if you noticed one of the horns from the gargoyles like poking through his mouth yes Yep, and I thought that was a really cool shot. Yep, you only see it for like a second. Oh, it's but it's 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 a good shot. It's bad. I mean, it's it's really cool. Yeah, it's it punctured him through his mouth and then through his chest, and maybe the chest. Yeah, yeah, it's poking out of yeah. his chest, and it's just a blood a blood fountain <laughs> of uh, top dollar's blood. But um, so yeah, so the sensation sends top dollar over the roof to his death. Sarah Sarah accompanies Albert to the hospital, and Eric is reunited with Shelley at their graves. And um, the crow carrying Shelly's engagement ring is in its beak, and it lands on Eric's grave um, and drops the ring into Sarah's hand before flying over the city and into the night. And we get uh, some monologue from Sarah um, that love lasts forever, and uh, that's the end. So what was your what was your initial thoughts of the, uh, the ending here, James? Uh, I wrote in my notes that ca- I said castle fight because I, I didn't realize it was a church, but it's a very <laughs> gothic church. So it, it's both. Yes, very much. <laughs> it could be a castle. But uh, yeah, I wrote that that last fight scene was epic. Uh, I really enjoyed, you know, because Top Dollar has a sword, which is so fantastic. His, his vault of weaponry is like mostly swords. Yes. And I just find that that's like the coolest <laughs> villain that you could ever possibly make is like yeah guns are cool but like have you have you seen my sword have you, collection have you seen swords uh, they're not cooler <laughs> just my opinion it's my opinion don't don't come at me bro yeah yeah so like i like that and and when he does grab that uh just raw iron off the top of the building and uses that as a a makeshift sword like that was just that was just awesome yeah they're fighting you can hear them heavy breathing and the rain's falling and i don't know it's, it's pretty iconic and being a fan of comics, I'm very disappointed that I haven't actually read the Crow comic because I feel like 
there's some really cool panels. Oh, I'm of, I'm, um, I'm telling you right now, similar shots. If you love this movie, you are going to absolutely love the book. The book to me is it's better than the movie. Um, it's oh, man, it's so great. Um, but that ending, the way the comic ended and this ended is totally different. I mean, it's it's really it's interesting. Totally different. Um, yeah, there actually there was a character from the comic book that was supposed to be in the movie as well. It's a character called uh, Skull Cowboy, which sounds totally rock and roll, right? Um, that was supposed to also be a sequel, no? <clears throat> there was sequels. There was sequels. Well, yeah, but were were they going to do a Skull Cowboy sequel? Or am I? I don't think so. Um, they actually, okay. they, maybe it was just cut from the thing. They did film um, scenes with the skull cowboy for this movie, um, which you can see if you, on the DVD, if you go to the extras and deleted scenes, you can see that uh-huh. those scenes, but um, the, it was, it was originally uh, planned to be part of the adaptation. And they, like I said, they even had scenes filmed. The character was supposed to act as another guide for Eric Draven, which he mm-hmm. does in the comic. Um, between the worlds of, of the dead and the living. Uh, he was um, portrayed by Michael Berryman, um, the actor known for his role in the horror cult film, The Hills Have Eyes. So there you go. Yeah. Um, but he was not in the film, and I'm glad he wasn't in the film. He's in the comic, but it makes sense in the comic, and you'll understand why when you read it. But gotcha. uh, another difference between the comic and the movie is the comic, the crow actually talks to Eric. Um, mm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, the sequences with the crow and Eric are much, much different and, um, are very, very meaningful in the, in the book. So, um, it kind of feels <laughs> telepathic in this, in the movie. It's just very telepathic. That's correct. Yeah. And it may be, I, I don't know if they, if, if there's any reasoning on why they did it the way they did, but I, I do enjoy sometimes showing without telling, Yeah, you know, like he just like, assuming. Less is more. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. And it just leans into the movie already has like this dark overtone. Right. Uh, to begin with. And that's just like even more gothic. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so um, let's get into a little bit of the um, the real bad stuff here. Um, so this was Brandon Lee, of course, um, died. They, they got most of the movie filmed. Um, before his death, uh, he was accidentally mm-hmm. killed on on scene uh, during a scene. Um, they actually filmed the scene. Uh, of course, the, the the scene itself is not in the movie, so don't go looking for it because it's. It, trust me, you're not going to see it. But um, <clears throat> it was March 31st, 1993. Lee was filming a scene with his character Eric. is shot after witnessing the beating and rape of his fiance. Uh, Eric, uh, actor Michael uh, Massey's character Funboy fires a uh, 44 Magnum Smith and Wesson uh, at Lee as he walks in the room. A previous scene using the same gun had called for in, in, inert dummy cartridges filled with uh, fitted with bullets, but no powder or primer to be loaded in the revolver. Um, for close-up scenes that use a revolver where the bullets are clearly visible from the front and do not require the gun to be actually actually be fired. Dummy cartridges provide a more realistic appearance than blank rounds, which have no bullet. Uh, instead of purchasing commercial dummy cartridges, the film's, the film's prop crew, hampered by the time of constraints, uh, created their own by pulling the bullets from live rounds, dumping the powder charge, then reinserting the bullets. However, yeah, they un- so that's what I read earlier. Yeah, however, they unknowingly left a live primer in place at the rear of the cartridge. At some point during filming, the, re- the revolver was apparently discharged 
with one of these improperly deactivated cartridges in the chamber, which set off the primer with enough force to drive the bullet partway into the barrel, and it became stuck, a condition known as squib load. <clears throat> Excuse me. The propel crew either failed to notice or failed to re- recognize the significance of the issue. Uh, in the fatal scene, which called for the revolver to be accidentally fired, actually fired at Lee from a distance of 12 to 15 feet. The dummy cartridges were exchanged for blank rounds, which featured a live powder charge and primer, but no bullet, thus allowing the gun to be fired without the risk of an actual projectile. As the production company had set uh, the firearms specialist home early, responsibility for the guns were given to a prop assistant who was not aware of the rule for checking all firearms before and after any handling. Therefore, the barrel was not checked for obstructions when it came time to load it with blank rounds. Since the dummy, since the bullet from the dummy round was already trapped in the barrel, this caused the 44 Magnum bullet to be fired out of the barrel with virtually the same force as if the gun had been loaded with a live round. <clears throat> it struck Lee in the abdomen, mortally, uh, mortally wo- wounding him. Um, he was rushed to uh, New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington, where they filmed in North Carolina. Where he went, he underwent six hours of surgery. However, attempts to save him were unsuccessful, and Lee was pronounced dead at 1:03 p.m. on March 31st, 1993, at the age of 28. Uh, it was ruled an accident. <clears throat> so yeah, you were talking a little bit about this, James. Do you have any more information on that? Um, no, no, not really. There was like some, uh, like speculation. People thought he died instantly, but you already mentioned in this reading that. There was actually a six-hour surgery that took place, and uh, they they were unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Um, being a person like a, a a responsible gun owner and someone who goes to the shooting range not as much as I used to because of a couple of things: one, COVID; two, I just don't have time to do it as much. But being someone who handles these you know deadly weapons. Checking the chamber before firing is something that you automatically do. Like once you get into that, I understand, you know, this was like a prop assistant and it was a total accident and mistake, but it's like, and it was, you know, mid nineties or early nineties. So like maybe people weren't thinking, (laughs) uh, we've learned a lot over time, you know? So like today I feel like it's almost second nature to like, okay, we're using this prop gun, even though it's a prop gun, it should still be treated as a real gun. Um, and there's a checklist of things that everyone needs to do when handling something like that. And, uh, it's super scary to think that, you know, cause like the, the round was mislodged into the barrel. So then that, that blank, is basically a gun, like a bullet at this point. Yeah. And they, they had no idea. And nope. like, that's just, it's so sad. And the, and, um, the character, the, the guy that played fun boy, Michael Massey is the one that killed him. And that, and, yes. and he lived with that for the yep. rest of his life. And trust me, rest of his life. Yeah. And trust me. And he's passed away since, uh, may he rest in peace as well. But, um, he felt really, really bad about that. I mean, as you would, I mean, it's a complete accident mm-hmm. on his behalf. It wasn't yeah. anything he did wrong. Um, but, um, yeah, he really, really suffered. Um, he, he suffered a lot for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I read in his Wikipedia, uh, Michael Massey, 
that he took a break from acting mm-hmm. for a while afterwards. And like, there's a, he had a, a, you know, a huge successful career, mm-hmm. but he was to the, like, I, I'm hesitant to say to this day, but like there was many of articles written about him that it was never like Michael Massey, the voice actor of Dr. Banner in the, you know, 2005 animated series of Marvel. Mm. It was Michael Massey, the guy who accidentally killed Brandon Lee. Yep. Like that sucks. That really you sucks. Know, that to sucks live your him. whole life under that shadow. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I think that, I think that Brandon Lee wouldn't want that for him. Brandon, absolutely. I, I, listen to me. I, I, I am completely biased. Brandon Lee is, it, it, he remains one of my favorite actors to this day. And he hasn't been in a movie since the crow, obviously. But, um, this guy had a presence about him and he was going to be an absolute star. Um, he did. I, I, matter of fact, I own a, f- a few of his other movies, showdown, a little Tokyo rapid fire, um, great movies. And I encourage you guys to watch it, but I encourage you guys the most to, um, go on YouTube and, Type in Brandon Lee's last interview. And um, it's really, it's such a powerful, you you get what Brandon is all about just from this one interview. And he talks, he's on set of the film of The Crow. And he's talking about the movie and he's talking about life in general. And it's very, very haunting what he says. But it's, it, you, you just, you realize what kind of person he was. And he was, um just as philosophical uh, as his dad was. He wasn't all, you know, they, Bruce and Brandon both had this, that not only were they badasses in, in martial arts, but they were very, very f- smart people, very, very, very philosophical people. And, uh, Brandon was very, very kind. Uh, he, he was, he was just a great all around dude. And I, I, I felt bad for Michael Massey, uh, you know, because I, I know that, um, not, you know, obviously never met Brandon Lee, but I, I know that that's not what he would have wanted for this guy. And, uh, it's, it's a shame, um, that this happened. And, you know, after, after Lee's death, uh, the producers were faced with a decision of whether or not to continue with the film. Um, I was telling James this before we started rolling here that, uh, Alex Prius did not want to do it. Um, he didn't, he didn't want to continue with it. Uh, he was, him and Brandon became really, really close. Um, going, you know, filming this movie, coming up with uh, the character, uh, you know, they, they just, they really formed a good friendship. And uh, this really affected Alex Price a lot. And um, Lee had, con- he had completed most of his scenes for the film and was scheduled to shoot for only three more days. Uh, the rest of the crew, the cast and crew, except for Ernie Hudson, whose brother-in-law just died, stayed in Wilmington. Uh, Paramount Pictures, which initially in- uh, interested in distributing The Crow theatrically, um, it, it, you, I didn't know this, but originally it was supposed to be a direct-to-video uh, movie. Interesting. Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't. Um, they opted out of involvement um, due to delays in filming and some controversy over the violent uh, content being uh, inappropriate given Lee's death. Um, however, Merrimax picked it up with the intention of releasing it in theaters and injected a further $8 million to complete the production taking its budgets to approximately $23 million. Um, of course, we'll get into the box office here in just a minute. Um, the cast and crew then took a break uh, for script rewrites of the flashback scenes they had yet to be completed. The script was rewritten by uh, Waylon Green, uh, uh, Rene Blash- Blachier, I'm but- butchering that name, um, and Michael uh, Chernunchen, Chernunchen, Michael S. Chernunchen. 
uh, adding narrative and new scenes. Uh, Lee stunt double Chad Stolwiski. Gosh, sorry guys. Uh, we was used as a stand-in, and CGI was um, uh, used to digitally uh, superimpose Lee's face onto the head of the double. Um, the beginning of the movie, which had not been finished, was rewritten, and the apartment scene remade using computer graphics from an earlier scene of Lee. Um, so there, there's a few scenes that were um, uh, they had a stunt double. His stunt double portrayed him. Um, but yeah, very very sad stuff. Um, and I, like I said, I I still think to this day that uh, Brandon would have been an absolute. That this was gonna this was gonna catapult him. And one of the movies I always, uh, even though you know I can't see anybody else doing it now, but I could see him playing Neo in the Matrix. <laughs> like I could totally see him being Neo in the Matrix. But um, yeah, that would have been cool to see. That that would have been really really cool. I don't know if he would have done it, but. I think that um, you would have made a great Neo. Um, what are your thoughts on on on, on the uh, death of Brandon Lee here? I I find it I find it very sad. Um, he was only 28 years. I'm 31, so I couldn't imagine three years ago losing my life to an accident mm-hmm. on something that I was that I am in love with. Right. You know, like that. So I I almost can't even fathom or process the feelings of, of just like that. It's just so horrible. Yeah. Um, it's great though that, you know, he had a stunt double that looked enough alike. And that's so cool in Hollywood, how there there's literally a double for everybody. Um, and all they had to do was a little bit of, you know, CGI. And I, that's not, I just oversimplified that because we're talking like the early nineties. So that probably wasn't easy then. No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, um, But uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's hard. And I think it just makes the movie that much oddly enough better because the whole movie has this very emotional undertone. Yeah, very the whole time. Very much so. Um and you know, twenty three million dollar budget, that was a lot for the times, but realistically now that's that's nothing. And let's get into mm-hmm. the box office here. Um the, the budget was twenty three million with the additional eight million dollars from Miramax, and thank God for them because they they stepped in and did a good job. I'm glad they took it away from Paramount because I, I, I shudder to think what this movie would have been had Paramount decided to distribute it like ugh, yuck. But, um, the totals wind up being $94 million. Uh, so it, and it's become, it's become a cult classic, uh, in its For own sure. right. And, um, getting into some of that here, it was a sleep rate at the box office. The film opened up at number one in the United States and 1500 theaters, uh, with an $11 million average, uh, with 11 million, uh, $774 and $332 and averaging 7485 per theater. Um, some industry sources believe that Merrimack's overstated the weekend gross by as much as a million dollars. The film ultimately grossed $50,693,129 in the United States and Canada and $43 million internationally uh, for a world, worldwide total of $93.7 million against a budget of $23 million. Uh, it ranked at number 24 for all films released in the U.S. in 1994, the 24th highest grossing film worldwide for 1994, and rated number 10, or excuse me, and number 10 for rated R films released that year. 
that's another thing it was battling. It was a rated R film, which that's not easy to release and make, you know, make a lot of money. You know what I mean? Um, For sure. But um, it's critical response. Um, it actually had an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 59 reviews and an average rating of uh, 7.10 out of 10. Um, uh, the critical. I find that incredibly good. Like give, yeah. given, even given the time frame, like if you're plus 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, you're a good film. Yeah. Well, not you're subjectively a good film. Cause sometimes I think Rotten Tomatoes gets it wrong. Yeah, but. They do get it wrong, <laughs> but they definitely got it right here. Um, and yeah. we'll get into our ratings here in just a minute, but, um, the critical consensus states filled with style and energy, uh, lucrative energy. The Crow is an action-packed visual feast, uh, which that's completely true, and also has a soul in the performance of the late Brandon Lee. Um, the film also has a score of 71 out of 100 on uh, Metacritic, based on 14 critics, uh, indicating uh, generally favorable view reviews. Uh, reviewers praised the action and visual style. style. Rolling Stone called it a uh, dazzling fever dream of a movie. Uh, uh, Karen James, writing for New York Times, gave it a genre film of a higher order, stylish and smooth. Roger uh, Ebert called it a stunning work of visual style. And the LA Times also praised the film. Um, Lee's death was alleged to have a melancholy effect on viewers, um, which it did me, to be honest, too. Um, the son, uh, how of the Washington Post, wrote that Lee haunts every frame, which is, I mean, it's totally true. Plus his performance. Um, it's, it's just, um, it's very, very haunting for sure. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, James, Barra Denali called the film a case of art imitating death. Um, and the specter that will always hang over the crow. Um, yeah. Um, again, the film was widely compared to other films, including Tim Burton's Batman, movies and Riley Scott's Blade Runner. Uh, critics describe the crow as a darker film than the others. Uh, Ebert called it grungier and more foreboding story than those of Batman and Blade Runner. And Todd um, uh, McCarthy of Variety wrote that the generic inner city of Detroit uh, portrayed the crow makes Gotham city uh, look like the Emerald city. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can see that. Honestly. I, yes. We talked about that at the beginning of this uh, podcast here. So yeah, um, and we did Batman 1989, and we had a lot to t- to to say about Gotham City and how much of a character it played in that movie. Right, and I'd have to agree with with that that uh, journalist that the the, <laughs> the portrayal of Detroit in this movie yes. is very dark, very very dark indeed. Um, there were some negative reviews of the film with uh, generally sim- similar in theme to the positive ones, but said that the interesting and okay special effects did not make up for the superficial plot, badly written screenplay and one dimensional characters. I don't agree with any of that, but that's, it's all subjective. Uh, I can, I can each character. I think th- while they are one dimensional, they were only supposed to be one dimensional. <laughs> you weren't, su- you weren't supposed to know them as any other than that. That's all you needed to know about them because they were scumbags. So, in any case, uh, The Crow was mentioned in Empire's uh, 2008 list of 500 greatest movies of all time. It ranked uh, at number 468. It has since become a cult film. Um, I would rank it higher than that, but we'll get into that. So, let's get into our ratings while we're talking about box office. Okay. Um, James, you go ahead. Sure. Uh, So, off the top here. I'm I'm gonna have to give this puppy a four point five out of five galactic stars. Yes. Uh and my reasoning behind that is 
you know, it from from start to finish, it really it really has you hooked. From you know, we start the film post what happened to this lovely couple, um, and you know, so it was, it was right after it happened. You know, they find they find her on the ground, him outside on the floor, uh, and and uh, you know, from that moment, you're just kind of hooked in. You're like, what the hell happened? <laughs> you know, and then you're just invested the whole time trying to figure out this case. And like they do the flashbacks and whatnot. And I feel like once, you know, we get to the main character of, of, of the crow, you're just like, Oh, he gets to, to wreak havoc on, on the people that ruined his life. Like, heck yeah. So like now you have this champion that you get to follow throughout the film and I don't know. It, I just personally, I feel like it was really good storytelling all the way through. Yes. I, I, I gave it five, uh, 4.5, uh, galactic star rating as well out of five. And my reasonings are, I've talked about it this whole time. Um, <laughs> there, the visualization of this movie, both, uh, the physical visual, visual visualization and the, the, the music, um, that gives you the, the emotional, it really resonates the 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 emotional spectrum of this movie perfectly uh both the soundtrack and the uh the movie soundtrack um and i encourage every one of you guys that that are listening right now to you know on a on a rainy day a nice rainy day if you if you got nothing better to do get on you know spotify or apple apple uh play or what get on one of the one of the streaming sources or just get on youtube and um look up the soundtrack to these movies to this movie rather and just listen just just like you know while you're doing stuff around the house just listen to it it's so powerful um and Brandon Lee's performance in this, um, you can just see how passionate he was. He, he, uh, and this is going to be sound crazy to some people. And I, this is just my opinion. He's almost Daniel day Lewis esque in this movie where there's no Brandon Lee. This is, this is Eric Draven <laughs> yeah. to a T. Um, and I know this because I've, I've read the comic a million times and I've seen this movie a million times and it, it's one of those movies that never, ever, ever gets old. There's always something else that I see or find in this film. Some people have Star Wars as their favorite. Some people have, you know, what have you as their favorite. This is my favorite movie, and I'm, I know this is a little bit uh, biased, um, but I have my reasonings. And, it, you know, this movie is perfect for me from start to finish. Um, and yeah, four point five. We, we 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 very rarely does anybody ever give a perfect score, and I would give a perfect score on this, but I don't want to sound too much like a homer. So uh, I'm going <laughs> four point five out of five as well. Um, and I, I strongly recommend this film to all of you listening. If you've not seen it, if you're younger and haven't seen this movie, seriously, um, check it out because it's amazing. Uh, let's get into the cast a little bit. Um, so we had Brandon Lee as Eric Draven, uh, Rochelle Davis as Sarah, uh, Michael Wincott as Top Dollar, uh, Ernie Hudson. Uh, you know, Ernie was uh, another one of the um, the main stars of the film um, to get people in the theaters. He played Sergeant Albrecht. Uh, Sophia uh, Shanas as uh, Shelley Webster, uh, which she was beautiful in that film, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Michael Massey as Fun Boy. 
Uh, we talked about him. Uh, Bai Ling, or Bay Ling, as uh, Micah. Uh, David Patrick Kelly as T-Bird. Uh, actually, it's Anna Thompson I'm reading here, uh, James, as Darla. Um, I think she did go by that other name that you said, that other last name oh, previously. Oh, yeah. But, um, the cast. Anna Thompson, yeah. professionally known as Anna Lee Rabon. There you go. Uh, Anna Thompson as Darla, Lawrence uh, Mason as Tintin, and Tony Todd as Grange. Uh, very, very good cast. Again, guys, like like the like the the, the critic uh, the negative critic review that they were all one dimensional. Yes, they were one dimensional, but they were supposed to be one dimensional. They were not supposed to be anything other than that. The only person that you were supposed to see as anything other than one dimensional was Eric Draven. And that was, that was very much accomplished. And actually that's wrong because we see Darla as being not one dimensional. Um, when he brings her, when he, you know, gets that morphine out of her arm and, 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 you know, wakes her up, she's suddenly a different character completely. Right. She mends the fence mm-hmm. with Sarah. Of course, Sarah is not one dimensional either. Sarah's, um, she's tough. She's witty. Uh, she doesn't give up. And, um, and, and that's a bleak world to live in too. You know, that'd be a really, really rough situation to be a part of, you know what I mean? And unfortunately, Eric and Shelly were wrong place, wrong time. And, yeah. um, they would have lived happily ever after in any other city, but that, <laughs> But Detroit, yep, and um, for sure, and, and that's the reason why they lost their lives. But uh, that cast is amazing, and a lot of those actors and actresses haven't done much since. Um, and yeah, I was I was skimming through, and I'm not going to like name all the stuff, but it seemed like a lot of them did more TV stuff after this than anything. They did, um, especially, yeah. and I was surprised because I, like I said, I thought David Patrick Kelly played T Bird. I thought he was amazing. Like I thought he was great. Um, yeah. but he, you know, you know, he was bound to get stereotyped as the villain because he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know Tony Todd did, uh, you know, Candyman and the sequels and whatnot. Um, but yeah, most of them did TV, uh, with the exception of Ernie Hudson. Um, they mostly did TV. Um, but, uh, let's get into, uh, we'll talk briefly about the sequels here. Um, so in 1996, a sequel was released called The Crow City of Angels. And in this film, Vincent Perez plays Ash uh, Corvin, who, along with his son Danny, are killed by criminals. Ash is resurrected by a new crow. Um, the character of Sarah returns uh, in this film and assists uh, Ash. Uh, this film also features Iggy Pop, who, according to the booklet insert for the film soundtrack, was the producer's first choice for Fun Boy in the first Crow movies. How about that? Uh, but he was unable to commit due to his recording set schedule. Um, so uh, <clears throat> they wanted uh, uh, Iggy Pop as Fun Boy. Uh, I, you know, that would have been cool, but I like who they got. I like I, Michael Massey did a really, really good job. Um, so we had that. We also had, um, the third film, the crow salvation. It was released in uh, 2000. It stars, uh, Kirsten Dunst actually. Um, and, uh, it, uh, it gets worse after city of angels. We had a fourth movie <laughs> called the crow wicked, wicked prayer, which had Edward Furlong and uh, Tara Reed, notably Dennis Hopper was also in that movie. And, uh, Danny uh, Trejo was also in the movie. And um, I did not like that movie at all. Um, those are just my... Interesting. Yeah, those... Did you read this? The Crow 2037 was planned to be written and uh, scheduled directed by Rob Zombie in the late 90s. However, it was never made. Yes. I 
I want to know what that was. I, I can tell you. I can tell you a little bit about it. And oh yeah, because, yes. Because like I said, The Crow was my all-time favorite movie. So, I as soon as City of Angels came out, I was in the theater opening night. <laughs> like, uh, I was excited for this film. Uh, I'm glad that I was glad they did a sequel, and I I liked it, mm-hmm. but didn't love it. But anyways, we're, we're so this movie here. Um, uh, yeah, quote The Crow 2037. I think it would have been a bitchin' movie, to be honest with you. And uh, Rob Zombie wanted Trent Reznor as the lead, which would have been totally freaking cool uh, yeah. and, and totally 90s. Um, and it was about kind of an evil priest um, that uh, kills what would have been Reznor's character. And, you know, of course, you know, things ensue after that. But, um yeah, that, I think that would have been really, really cool to see. I, I would have liked to have seen that. I'm not a huge Rob Zombie fan. Uh, I did like some of his stuff. And uh, I can say uh, that I met Rob Zombie. Uh-huh. Be jealous. Nice. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that would have been really cool. Um, but it did not happen. And, and it's probably for the best, really. But because the Crow Salvation was, you know, it was just okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Wicked Prayer was terrible. I, I mean, just my opinions, guys. But no, they also had a um, a TV series called Stairway to Heaven, The Crow Stairway to Heaven. It was in 1998. It had Mark. It brings back the character of Eric Draven, played by Mark uh, DeCassos. Um, and I watched a little bit of that show, and it was very soap opery at times. Um, I mm. thought Mark did a good job as Eric Draven, but. You know, of course, I was very much prone to Brandon Lee as Eric Draven, and really there was nobody else that could have played him. So it was second rate. It was kind of like poor man's version. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just wasn't yeah. as good. It, 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 it tells the story of Eric and Shelley again, but through a much longer lens, and it just it didn't capture the vibes for me um, that the film did. But that, again, that's me being completely biased. Um but anyways, um, so that's that's all the sequels. And then they, of course, they tried to reboot the film. They've been trying to reboot this thing. And, boy, it changes hands quickly, like hot potatoes. I mean, it's been through so many um, reinventions, and it's never got off the ground. And you guys can look up the whole reboot scenario there. I'm not going to get into it. There's a huge paragraph about it. But ultimately... Um, in 2019, uh, Alex Price, director of The Crow, said this in an interview on a podcast, quote, I personally try to squash it every time I hear one. Not that I believe I've been able to. I think uh, uh, in you, in, uh, I think circumstances have stopped, stopped it being made because if Hollywood wants to make something, they don't listen to schmucks like me who bring noble and more uh, moralistic issues. My point is that Brandon Lee made the movie uh, uh, what it is. He made that movie. He made the character. That character was not taken from a comic book. That was Brandon. And Brandon Lee died making that movie. He paid the worst price anyone could ever pay making a movie, and it's uh, it's his legacy. The guy would have been a huge star after that movie. He wasn't able to ever do that. This is his final testimony to his talent, and that's why I finished the movie. I finished it for Brandon. After being devastated about what happened, we shut down the production, and I went back to Australia. Months later, I went back and watched the movie, and his family, all the actors, everyone involved said, you've got to finish this movie because Brandon is so great in it. And and he was. Uh, I was able to watch it and see how great he was, and I thought then the movie deserves to be completed because of it, because it's his legacy. 
So that's what the movie is. It's not just a movie that could be remade. It's one man's legacy, and it should be treated with that level of respect, end quote. Um, that says it all. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, wow. Yeah. Um, that's, that's basically everything we just got done saying. Um, and I agree. Uh, I think that if they were to ever try and maybe, uh, get more in line with a comic, do an, do an animated version of it. Why not do an animated yeah, version I of could, the film? I can see that. Because that yeah. way you're not tarnishing that, like you're not tarnishing that legacy that Brandon Lee left. You're not, you're not doing that. You're, this is a different interpretation in an animated setting. Correct. You know, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I feel the same way about the movie. I know this is like getting off topic. I feel the same way about the movie blade and I hope that I'm sure we'll, we'll review that movie and down the pipeline, but I, and, and it's already been confirmed. Like we've seen that they're re rebooting that movie, but like, it didn't need it. No, no, it don't. It doesn't need it. They they want to bring Blade into the Marvel universe, and they can't do. That. And I feel like they can without. I mean, we'll see what the movie is. I I don't want to go there, but yeah. <laughs> like I just feel like it was one of those when I found out I was like, nah, why? You know. Yeah. And I feel like if they were if they were to roll out like oh we're, you know we're going to do the crow. Yeah. And re, if they do. I, I like the animated version or just like pick up. I, I know, I, I don't know how the comic goes, but like maybe they could just like don't retell the story, but just like bring back, uh, you know, the crow and like a different, maybe it's a different person. Cause like, uh, I'm, I'm assuming the crow isn't necessarily the person, but it's like the powers, right? So it chooses a different person. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It does. So like, it's just like pick up, Pick up where the story left. So, like, there's another person who has some unfinished business in the living realm. And, like, go from there. Like, don't... I, I just hope they never touch this specific character again. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same. Um, yeah. Let's go on to the soundtrack real quick. Well, of course, we've been talking about yeah. it. But the original soundtrack for The Crow features songs for the film, uh, from the film, uh, was a chart-topping album, actually. It included work by The Crow. Their song, Burn. Um, was the, the film's main theme, which is a fantastic song. Um, the Jesus and Mary Chain, Rage Against the Machine, Helmet, um, also Pantera, uh, Rollin, Rollins Band, Nine Inch Nails, Medicine, uh, My Life with the Thrill. It's very much a 90s. <laughs> My Life with the Thrill like Kill Call. Oh, for sure. Stone Temple Pilots. But, um, which they got the uh, best song. For that year, they did Stone Temple Pilots, Big Empty, Big Empty, and actually, that's not the uh, their original choice for that song. They have recorded a version uh, of a song called "Only Dying," which they recorded earlier as Mighty Joe Young in demo form, but it was replaced following Lee's death. They felt that it was inappropriate to release that song following Lee's death, so that's why Big Empty was put on the soundtrack. And frankly, I would love to hear that only dying song to see if it would fit with a film, but the mm-hmm. big empty, big empty is just a great song and it fits well. With that soundtrack. So good. Yeah. Like, it's so, so good. Um, and Peter Hook's memoir, Substance, uh, Inside New Order, Hook relates that New Order were approached to provide the soundtrack for the film with a cover of Level Terrace Apart, um, because as we all know, um, the members of New Order um, were also, uh, they were Joy Division first. Um um, but anyways, like Eric, they had been, t- they had two had risen from the dead. However, the band's frontman Bernard Sumner, v- vetoed the idea, citing they were too busy with their album Republic to commit to another project. 
Um, James O'Barr, creator of the comic book series, was a big fan of Joy Division and had named the characters Sergeant Albrick and Captain Hook after bandmate Sumner, who was also known as Al- uh, Bernard Albrick earlier in his career, and Hook. Uh, so Peter Hook was the um, bass player for New Order and Joy Division. And then Bernard Sumner was the guitar player for Joy Division and New Order. Anyways, <laughs> so he wanted nice. James O'Barr wanted um, he wanted New Order to do the soundtrack, and they they declined because they were busy. They would have mm-hmm. they would have done a really nice job with the soundtrack, but I like what we got. Um, yes, and of course Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor, um, he did um, Joy Division. He did a cover of Joy Division's Dead Souls. That's that was the name of the song. It was it was off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, he, so the, there was a joy division song on there, but it was uh, done by nine Inch nails. Um, Rollins band covered suicides, ghost rider, Pantera performed poison ideas, the badge. Uh, we talked about big empty and then, uh, the band's medicine and my life was the thrill kill cult, uh, which have two really good songs on the record as well. They made cameos in the film appearing on stage in the nightclub below top dollars headquarters. Oh, yep. that's cool. Yes. I, see, my my knowledge of 90s grunge music is limited to, like, if I hear it, I'm like, oh, I've heard that before. But if you showed me a picture, I'm like, I have no idea who these people are. <laughs> uh, the, score, the score consists of original, mo- mostly or, uh, orchestral music with some electronic and guitar elements written for the film by Graham Revel. Uh, and let me tell you guys, again, I cannot say this enough. On a nice rainy day, you got nothing to do. You're doing stuff around the house in, in indoors. Turn on the soundtrack. I'm telling you, it's it's amazing. But um, yeah, there there you go. Um, that's that's the crow. And um, again, this is my favorite movie of all time. It, it it's never going to change. <laughs> it's it's just simply never going to change. Um, I I I love this movie so much that uh, I used to watch it at least two, three, four, five times a year. Um, I, I, I stay away from it because it's, it's such an emotional movie that I kind of have to be in the mood for it now, which I, I still love it, but it's, it's one of those movies that I, I, I don't want anything distracting me while I'm watching it. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna turn off my phone. I, I'm just gonna, just gonna dive in. And so it was really hard for me to take notes during this thing. Because yeah. I, I want to be in, in in all encompassed into this movie, and uh, I encourage you guys to do the same. But um, James, let's close out on some movie news for the week of October the third, two thousand twenty-one. Uh, what's our first news of the day? There, uh, this is all uh, according to Variety, by the way. Uh, James, what you got? All right, real quick before I do the news, there was one last bit of fun fact that I wanted to drop on everybody and I felt like the end was the perfect place to do it. The The comic book was actually based on a tragic event that happened to James O'Barr. Um, they don't really go into detail in this article from Screen Rant, but uh, he kind of conceived the character of the crow after losing his fiance when he was 18 years old. So I thought that that was uh, really like interesting that that's like the spawn of this creation and um and then like just to see where it spiraled from there with him dealing with his own grief and uh truthfully me being an artist um i i understand like i i i went through a traumatic experience when i was 24 uh i was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease 
And I did a little short story of that for myself. And so like, I totally can relate to wanting to be creative to get through something. So but that was kind of cool. Yeah. And, and thank you for mentioning that because I didn't bring it up, but yeah. So James O'Barr um, fell in love at a very early age. They were 18, 19 years old and um, his fiance was killed by a drunk driver. And oh, see, I didn't know all the, the details. I just knew it was, he lost a fiance. Yeah. And this, she was his everything. And He's married now, happily married now, and um, is doing well, but um, it really sent him down a spiral for many, many years, and it took him 10 years to write the comic book. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, from 1982 to 1992, it took him 10 years to complete this thing. That's incredible, because this movie was like in production in 93? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Um, and... So yeah, they um, he that definitely and 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 you you when you read the comic, the dialogue between Eric and Shelley, you can tell was him and his fiance. Mm-hmm. You can very much tell that was them, and um, so this was very painful for him to write, and uh, it the somberness in the comic book definitely portrays into the movie, um, very much, very 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 well, um. So yeah, that's thank you for for saying that. I yeah. I did not get into that, but um, yeah, that's that's the inspiration there. You can find more out about James O'Barr. Just Google the guy. Um, you can go on YouTube and find some interviews with him. Um, he's a fantastic artist. He um, he didn't do a whole whole lot after the Crow. Um, he he dabbles with things, but um, nothing quite like the Crow. Um, mm. And he's gone back several times and wrote different stories. Um, with the crow involved, different characters and whatnot. But uh, in any case, all right, let's get on to uh, yeah. movie news for the week of October 3rd, yeah. 2021. So, what do you got? Yeah, so I found an article on the Variety written by Rebecca Rubin. Uh, the box office, since we're the box office invaders, <laughs> um, the box office numbers for the Venom sequel hit a monstrous 90 million debut, mm-hmm. uh, which is really good given, you know, these, these post apocalyptic <laughs> days that we're living in with, with, uh, people not going out to the movie theater as much. Right. Um, so that's that personally, that's really impressive. Like I find that amazing that, you know, that many fans wanted to go and see this film on the big screen. Yeah. Another film that also, um, has done really, really well is, uh, no time to die. The newest, uh, bond film, $119 million and uh, from 54 foreign markets. So it's, it's kicking butt overseas right now. Um, I don't think it's released here yet. Um, uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. It costs 250 million though to produce <laughs> at least a hundred <laughs> yeah. million to promote on a global scale. So it's a massive movie. Uh, oh, it comes out Friday. It comes out Friday, nice. in North America. So, nice. um, it, I might have to go see a double feature cause I I want to go see Venom. Yeah. And uh, actually, last week we touched on Dear Evan Hansen mm-hmm. uh, for our variety news, and I saw that on Wednesday. So if listeners, if you are a musical fanatic, um, it's well worth the watch. Uh, it's different than the, the on theater um, show, but I thought they did a really good job of 
making the transition from the stage to the screen. So it was a good movie. I, I recommend it for sure. Yeah. Me- meanwhile, um, The Many Saints of Newark, which is basically the prequel to The Sopranos, um, has not fared well. Uh, it's disappointed. It's, it looks like it's disappointing audiences, uh, which is not good because I know a lot of people were looking forward to this. Um, so yeah, hopefully, um, that picks up a little steam because, uh, it has, uh, James Gandolfini's son playing Tony Soprano in this. And, uh, of course we know the late James Gandolfini passed away a few years ago. Um, so it's kind of neat and he looks just like James Gandolfini. I mean, it's ridiculous how much he looks like him, but, um, um, I've heard some good things and some bad things about Venom too. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and go and and say which one I believe more. I have to see it for myself, which I've not seen it yet, but the one I'm waiting on is coming out October 15th. And that is Halloween kills. I cannot wait for that That, movie. That trailer looks good. I cannot wait for that movie. I'm going to the theater opening night. And then as soon as I see that puppy, I'm coming home that night and I'm watching it on Peacock. (laughs) I'm doing a double feature of Halloween kills. But, uh, um, yeah. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. We'll be back next week and, uh, we don't know what we're doing yet, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) that's a little behind the scenes. We'll get that figured out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll figure something out for next week. I I got a couple, couple movies on a list. Yes. Bounce back and forth with you. Absolutely. But, um, guys, we're, we, we're going to have socials now. We're going to be simply at, uh, box office invaders pod across the board. So, uh, wherever you can, wherever you got social media, just type, type in all one word box office invaders pod and you should be able to find us. And, uh, uh, James, do you have something, uh, that you'd like to plug? Yeah, I'll go ahead and plug my personal Instagram. It's the Grizzly Artist. It's D-A underscore Grizzly underscore Artist. And I'm not hip-hop or cool. It's just that the was taken, and I just used D-A. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not cool at all. I'm just like, I just ran out of ideas, and that was what fit. So, yeah, you can check me out there. Or I also have a website at thegrizzlyartist.com. Uh, you can check that out. I post post my illustrations there. I have links to all my social medias from my website. You can check out my store, blah, blah, blah. Amazing. Uh, I am on Facebook. I'm a uh, video game streamer. Uh, just type in Back to the Arcade Gaming on uh, Facebook Gaming there, and you will find me. Uh, I do streams five to six days a week, uh, usually around 7, 8 p.m. EST. Come in and hang out. Come in and say hi. We'd love to have you in there. We play uh, retro uh, and current games alike, and uh, we build a pretty good community over there. And uh, yeah, we got a whole merch store, everything, all the good stuff. Uh, so go check out the Grizzly Artists and check out Back to the Arcade Gaming, and then get your butt back here for uh, Box Office Invaders uh, podcast. We'd love to have you. Um, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time. Later, taters. Peace.